Welcome to Crucial Foundations, a program that seeks the foundational truths found in Scripture for every generation. Hi there, I'm Gable. And I'm Larry. We are teachers in the Charlottesville, Virginia area. Let us open our Bibles today to seek those timely truths found in God's Word. We welcome you back to our podcast, Crucial Foundations. We're continuing to talk about the conscience that judge within us that discerns right and wrong. I believe strongly the conscience is a neglected topic. And particularly as we consider our own conscience, what do you think about judgment day? What do you think about death? What do you think about one day standing before God? I want to assure you that should be a major impact upon our conscience. Paul over and over talked about preparing Christians for the day of the Lord. In Philippians 1.10, he says that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. See, Paul wanted to prepare people to be with God forever. And over and over again, he talked about how do you build? Do you build with wood, hay, and stubble or precious metals and stones? Paul talked to the Corinthians about that. He wanted all of us to have a conscientiousness about being in fellowship with God now and being ready to be with him for an eternity. There was a time in my life where I pretended to be a Christian, didn't go to church, thought I was right with God until I faced death. And when I faced death, the first thing that came in my conscience, my conscience became alive and I said, I'm going to hell. I remember being terrified at that and having that terror made me actually build a good conscience. I began a reading of the scriptures. What is a good conscience? A good conscience basically is the idea of being honest. There's two terms used in, uh, in Paul's writings that we read in Philippians 1.10, the idea of being sincere and without offense. That word sincere, if you studied the Greek, literally means without wax. And you go, wow, that's a strange definition. Well, if you understand in the Greek days that there were statues that were sold, and sometimes the one building the statues makes a mess mistake, and there's a big gap in this marble, and you can't redo that, and so they put wax in it. And it appears to be a perfect statue, but then when sunshine comes out and the wax melts, you found out that you've been fooled. You have bought a lemon. And the truth is, we do not want to be a lemon before God. We want to be without wax. And the idea here is just honesty. It's not perfection. It's the idea of being genuine and not being a fake. It's very easy to put on an outward show. It's very easy to play religion and play church. We can temporarily put on a mask. That's what the Bible calls hypocrisy. Jesus said, though, if we're going to be serious about serving God, we're going to see reality. In Luke 9, 23, he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Jesus wants all of us. And Jesus is not asking for perfection. He's asking for honesty and a real commitment. There's a joke I heard about a chicken and a pig walking down the road. They saw a hungry man on the side of the road. And he says, the, the chicken said, Mr. Pig, let's help this poor man. Let's give him breakfast. Let's make him a breakfast of bacon and eggs. And Mr. Pig says, well, Mr. Chicken, that's easy for you to say. For you, this is just a contribution. But to me, 
it's total commitment. <laughs> and we need to understand when we serve the Lord, there's total commitment. And we want to see ourselves. And there is where protecting the conscience becomes critical. We talked about last week where Paul talked about in Acts 25 and verse 16, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. I do not want to be a hypocrite, but I've got to commit myself to the task of not, not being perfection. We seek perfection, but what we do is that we let ourselves be molded daily by God. In Romans 12 and verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. It is critical to seek a good conscience is that we place ourselves before God, and in that we can be prepared to let him change us. So what we've talked about a lot in this idea of a weak or a defiled conscience, those with worldly standards might even be ashamed of Christians. To our listeners, you might identify with some of these examples. If any of your friends at work have invited you uh, out to a bar crawl, I know that there were many times in my college experiences where uh, it was after class and a lot of the students were going to go out to the bar. They were going to go uh, maybe even to study. Uh, but I had, you know, maybe a Bible study that evening in college, uh, college class. And uh, so I, I kindly declined and maybe even invited them to come to those. And of course, I got crickets after that. Uh, and so they kind of they kind of uh, made me out to be the black sheep of the group in many aspects. Or maybe even, you know, you don't choose to uh, use foul language. You don't choose to go to certain events on a Sunday or maybe even a Wednesday. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 7, Paul says there, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. It's not always going to be easy to be a Christian. If you're pursuing that good conscience, if you're pursuing good standards that are given by God, uh, then there may be difficulties at times. God has, by nature, made us social creatures. We naturally want to be around others that share similar values. So if we're around others with a good conscience and we want to be around them, we can be a powerful influence on each other because we're all seeking after similar things. We're seeking after truth and we're seeking a good conscience. Now, on the other side of that coin, if we do not want a good conscience, we don't want to be around those that have a good conscience, we are probably even going to feel embarrassed around our worldly friends because they don't want those things. So going back to those first examples, a weak Christian might be embarrassed uh, when they don't participate in certain events, and then over time, maybe even very quickly, through peer pressure, they become involved in many of those worldly things and fall prey to those things. So through all of that, someone can very quickly not only defile their conscience, but destroy it. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, Paul speaks to this idea, speaking lies and hypocrisy, 
having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. So they might act one way around Christians, but then when they go and spend time with their worldly friends, they put on another mask that we've talked about. In Romans chapter 14 and verse 23, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats because he does not eat from faith for whatever is not from faith is from sin. So we may do something in good conscience and still sin, but even to do something that is right and acceptable, if we do so with a defiled conscience, that is sin. It's very important for us to recognize. Now, we've talked about even last episode, the conscience is certainly a great gift. If trained well, if trained well, uh, it can guide us to so many good things, and it's something that we have to carefully protect. And one thing that is so prevalent in our culture today is there is no truth. There is no absolute truth. And of course, this is an offshoot of postmodern postmodernism. This gift of the conscience can quickly be discarded. You think of the numerous times as a child you received a gift, whether that's at Christmas, a birthday, whatever it might be. You get it out of the box, you treasure it, you want to play with it, you want to use it, and you may use it a lot at first. But over time, the next new thing comes along, and you put it down, you move on to something else. So what happens to that first gift? It collects dust, might even become useless because uh, it's collected all of that dust, and you, don't, you just don't use it as much. The standard of today is that the standard can be whatever you want it to be. That's not what we ought to be seeking after as Christians. In Judges chapter 21, in verse 25, the Bible says there, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So meaning there was no standard of God. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. We do not want to find ourselves in that place. We want our, we want our conscience to be guided by God and to seek after godly things. It's important as we think about being before God, there are people who say, well, look, if I try to do what you say, I'm going to feel guilty all the time. I'm going to feel bad. And I want to suggest to you that, no, you can be joyful. And someone will say, well, Larry, you got a bunch of rules. You got right and wrong. And I struggle with doing right. I feel bad about myself. Well, let's talk about forgiveness. Let's talk about actually how we can get our mind right and not just be focusing on right and wrong, although we want to note that, that's critical to note it, but we need to understand the character of God. When I was a child and I messed up, I didn't mind going before my parents because I knew they loved me. We need to develop an understanding of God where we can be comfortable in his presence. Now, in order to do that, you have to understand about forgiveness. When Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5 and 6, when he suddenly appeared before God, the first thing he says, I'm, a, I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And, and what happened then, that there was an angel uh, brought him uh, uh, forgiveness, uh, the concept of forgiveness. And so if we are forgiven, we can be in the right relationship with God. And so assurance, how can I see the guilt of my sin? and still have assurance. That's called forgiveness. God knows us. He knows our struggles. And basically, he says, if we say we have no sin, we're lying. 
In 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, there's a discussion about how one becomes a Christian. And in this passage, we understand that the final step into Christ is water baptism. Now, water baptism is preceded by trusting God, repenting, giving your life to God. But I need to know at what point my sins are forgiven. In 1 Peter 3.21, it says, in corresponding to that, that baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible here. And I really believe the idea is that when we are born again, when we're born of water and spirit, that we are forgiven. And when we are forgiven, we can stand before God with a good conscience because he's forgiven us. Well, somebody may say, well, I need to be baptized a hundred times and every day. Well, no, no, you don't have to do that. What you understand is that once you become a child of God, we have an advocate with the father who, who uh, appeals to the father on our behalf, according to 1 John 2, 1 through 3. But in 1 John 1, 6, the Bible says that in verse 6, it says, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice truth. Notice, that's a hypocrite. That is being dishonest with yourself. But now verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Isn't it a beautiful thing that my God says, I love you. I know your struggles. I'm giving you a perfect standard, and then I know you'll fall short, but you can grow. You can be forgiven. As you walk in the light, we have forgiveness on a daily basis. And so I serve a God who I know I fall short of, but I know he forgives, and I joyfully go to him because he knows exactly what I need, and he will provide it. In Romans 8, 15, what I'm talking about here, a good conscience makes you want to go to God, makes you want to worship him. You'll talk to him just without ceasing in your prayers. Worship is so meaningful. Romans 8, 15 puts it this way. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so the conscience is actually the way to really have joy. I think you know this within yourself. I know with my children, Gable, when they play ball, one of the terrible things that they thought was the terrible that they see in their teammates is when they played a game and they didn't care. Mm -hmm. That was the height. Of, of you know abhorrence with our kids they don't care that's what we're talking about here with a good conscience you care and you know god forgives you give your all and you grow in the process there is how a good conscience is found in coming to know god and want to be in his presence talking about that idea of uh, knowing god and his character Think of this in uh, light of the Psalms. You go to really any number of the Psalms, and more often than not, what the psalmist does there is he identifies first 
characteristics and attributes of God. He appeals to those before jumping into whether it's an appeal for forgiveness, uh, whether he's talking about his own sin or the sins of others. He almost always starts the psalm by appealing to God. For instance, if you go over to Psalm 19, which is a very familiar psalm to most of you, I'm sure, in Psalm 19 and verse 9, he says there, the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. So notice there, he's appealing not just to the character of God, but his commandments, his judgments, and even those are true and right and just. Continuing on in verse 12, who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and I shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So now, now that the psalmist knows the character of God and his judgments, his commandments, he is happy to keep those commands. He is happy to follow after his judgments and his righteousness because he knows that he can trust in God. So he's happy to do so. So apply this to, we've talked about worship, apply this to even studying God's word. When you come to know God and who he truly is, you want to study his word. You want to go after that. In Jeremiah chapter 9, in verse 23, Jeremiah says there, Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Why do we study? Why do we study the Bible? I would hope any one of us would say it's so that we can come to know God, that we can understand his character. Why should we understand his character? Because an understanding of him means that we take part in everything that Jeremiah says there, his loving kindness, his judgment, his righteousness. And we talked about last time being molded by the potter. That's part of what that looks like that we are daily molded by his loving kindness, his judgments, his righteousness. And so, again, as we talked about, when we learn to love God, when we learn to worship him, to put ourselves before him, we can maintain that good conscience. And when we want that, the good conscience can be so valuable, so valuable to us. We've talked a little bit as well about sin. Learning how to deal with the guilt of sin, learning how to deal with the hurt that you may have experienced in this life, the uncertainty even of the future. It starts with a consciousness of God, always thinking on him, always thinking of him. One of the very best things you can do to accomplish this is daily thankfulness to God. 
In Romans chapter 1, in verse 21, Paul says there, Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So just, be just because you believe in God, just because you know he's there, doesn't mean you will always think of him as you ought to. Know God, you now have a place to direct that gratitude. God wants our thankful hearts. A few verses later, in verse 28, Paul says there, even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. So if you lose a desire, you can no longer retain thoughts of God. You no longer want to be thankful, no longer harbor those thankful thoughts. God's going to allow that. He's not going to force you to think of him. He's not going to force you to have a relationship with him. But he always wants us to come back. He's always there uh, waiting for us so that we can be thankful. It's important that we have wisdom in order to keep our conscience. Well, Gable's already very capably shown us about how associations make a huge difference. And I will tell you, God has designed through his will that we be a part of a local church. Local churches are places where we can help one another have a good conscience, as Gable pointed out earlier. There's those who want to have a good conscience are around others who want to have a good conscience because you pursue the same thing. You help each other. You can see some things that others cannot see in yourselves personally. In Hebrews 10, 23, this is exactly the point that is made. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, the day in this context, whether it be an impending judgment uh, in that life or the life to come, you want to be prepared. You, If it's the life to come, you want to be prepared to stand before God. And again, having others to help you. I remember uh, visiting different churches when I first became a Christian. And I wanted the church that had the kind of teaching where people wanted to talk about the truth. They love me. I wanted people that care about me. But today, you can have churches that decide we don't want to tell you hard things. We just want to make you feel good. No, I want you to help me be prepared for eternity. In 2 Corinthians 4, verse 1, Paul talked about how the way he preached. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we renounce the hidden things of shame. That's hypocrisy. That's not being genuine. That's not seeking a good conscience. One more time. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame, not walking in craftiness or handling the word of God deceitfully, but in manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I want to have somebody that preaches. They want to have a good conscience too. And you know what? When they got a good conscience, they're going to tell me what I need to hear and not necessarily what I want to hear. And so that is really, really important that we understand that we find the right local church. And by the way, when it comes to questions of right and wrong, 
I want to find out what is right. I don't want to live in doubt, but I want to pursue a reason of the scripture to see what is right and wrong. And I recognize each of us within our own conscience have to pursue God's word, but I want to pursue it. Therefore, I don't mind being challenged. As Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The psalmist in Psalms 26, 1, vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in integrity. I have also trusted in the Lord. I shall not slip. Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. You see, those who pursue a good conscience, they're going to be involved in Bible study. They're going to be involved in discussion. They're going to say, my heart is open and my Bible is open. And I want to have help to know God better. See, And you can do this because you understand God, you understand forgiveness, Bible study, and even controversy done in the proper way is a joy. There is how we have a good conscience. And good Bible study also involves uh, the learning of the value of God's provisions, both past and present. And the disciples found this time and time and time again uh, when they interacted with Jesus. What we're talking about here is having the ability to grow and to learn from the foundations that have been laid, probably for our listeners, even very early on in life. You begin to make discernments between right and wrong at a young age. We understand that. But when we grow older, you learn why those things are right, why those things are wrong. The Proverbs talk extensively about uh, remembering the commandments, remembering what your father, what your mother has given to you, letting that be an ornament around your neck. Let that be a daily remembrance to you. And also to our listeners, it's it's very likely that, again, whether that be your parents, your grandparents, uncles, aunts, uh, family, friend, someone special in your life has probably planted good seeds. And a lot of those seeds would point to God's provisions. Now, one thing to note, the seeds which they plant, they may not always sprout immediately. In fact, more often than not, they're not going to sprout immediately. What we talked about, about testing the heart, that's going to come with time. It's not going to happen overnight. And so oftentimes maturity and the passage of time have to take its course. And sometimes it even takes something in life that shakes us up, that makes us uh, awaken to the realities of life and remember those things that perhaps we had forgotten, but now they, they're brought to light. So talking about the disciples in Luke 24, in verse 6, this is, of course, towards the end of Luke's gospel here. This is after uh, Jesus had been risen, but the apostles had not yet uh, known that. But in verse 6, he is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And in verse 8, then they remembered his words. They may have grasped, and it even says there in some of the Gospels, they understood what he said, but we, we realize later on, no, they didn't quite understand what was happening. It took the actual event taking place for them to understand these words. So we don't always remember it first. 
These are these types of events uh, can stir us to remembrance. Already mentioned uh, the book of Proverbs and Proverbs one verse eight. Uh, this idea of the instruction of the father and the mother. My son, hear the instruction of your father. Do not reject the teaching of your mother, for they will be a graceful ornament on your head and chains about your neck. Talking about one of the apostles in particular, Peter is a character that crops up so many times. And I don't know about you, Mr. Larry, and even some of our listeners, but Peter is one that I can identify with probably more so than any of the apostles because he does fall and make mistakes time and time again. But he is one that picks himself up and he learns from his mistakes. Also in uh, Matthew 26, in verse 74, Matthew 26, in verse 74, then he began to curse and swear, saying, I do not know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word of Jesus, who had said to him, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So he went out and wept bitterly. It took Peter actually experiencing this event of him first denying even to Jesus's face saying, I would never deny you. I would go even to death with you. But then, of course, he did deny Jesus. But he had that guilty conscience. He recognized his sin and he came back to the Lord, even as Jesus uh, had even said that he hoped that he would. And this would make him an incredibly strong and influential character uh, in the early church, being a pillar in the church. And so certainly a, an example that we can learn from. Well, I hope we've given you some things to think about this in this podcast. It's important to consider how we're building and who we really are. We're talking about our hearts, our thoughts. As we conclude this particular foundation, I want us to go back to the idea of the judgment day. One day we'll appear before God. There'll be no fakes. There'll be no lies. There'll be truth. Everything's going to be revealed, and it's going to be real. I want to be found forgiven. I want to be found as one who's looking forward to his coming. And we could close with this verse in 2 Peter 3, 10 and 11. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Now look at the therefore in verse 11. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I am thankful I know how this world ends. I am thankful I know my God. I'm thankful I'm forgiven. And I'm thankful that I have a ways to go as I pursue holiness. I'll serve a God joyfully and take step after step after step in improving my life and becoming more like my Savior who died for me. Next week, we'll get a chance to deal with another foundation. I appreciate your participation in listening to us today. Thank you for listening. If you found this podcast to be helpful or encouraging, please consider following and subscribing or leave a rating or a review. If you have questions about anything from the episode or any other Bible questions, you can reach out to us at ncvchurch at gmail.com.
We hope that you'll join us next time as we lay another stone in the foundation of truth that God has given us. God bless you.